Blog Talk Radio. Makes the play. Throw home. Two out. Over the third. It gets away. 
Sorry about that, folks. For some reason, the audio sounded like it got a little garbled there. But as you can tell, Joe Buck, when he was making the call, there was a long pause after what happened when Alan Craig went home because, as you uh, heard, or at least I hope you heard, uh, John Jay hits a ground ball of men at second and third. It's a ground ball to the kid, to uh, second baseman Dustin Jura. There's only one out. Jura goes home, gets uh, the runner at home. Uh, get two outs. Jared Saltamaki and the catcher decides, and what was a pretty fateful and pretty kind of stupid mistake, decides to try and get Alan Craig at third. Alan Craig, no, who uh, has been struggling to run. And the, the ball got by third baseman Will Middlebrooks, goes to the left field. Now, as Will Middlebrooks laid out for the ball, uh, when Craig got up trying to run the first, he tripped over Middlebrooks, and then he ended up, the throw ended up, he would have been out, and what was great is that I was watching the game on mute, my good friend Jeff Paul on the line, and I thought they called him safe, who just made an egregiously bad call, but I did not notice that what ended up happening, hopefully no part, Jim Joyce made the call of obstruction at third base, and thus Craig scored, and the game was over. One of the great games in World Series history. Now, in terms of the rule book, technically speaking, by if you're looking at a black and white, he was at, he was safe. It was uh, obstruction was the correct call. But I do have some issues with the rule. The rule does not make it clear that the rule says that. Intent is not necessary for them to call obstruction. What I'm, what I don't understand, and something I saw on the play when it happened on Saturday night, was that Craig didn't really make an attempt to uh, go around Middlebrooks. He did kind of. Uh, it wasn't like he intentionally ran into him, but he didn't like go out of his way to, because the baseline technically was clear. If you look at what happened with Middlebrooks. Milbert also kicked up his uh, legs, which, I mean, that also makes it kind of blatant uh, for a theory that he was kicking up his legs to open up the baseline, but that sounds pretty ridiculous. But all, all in all, uh, a little, uh, an unexpected ending to a World Series game, and that was followed by what happened the next night in Game 4. Once again, Joe Buck and Tim McGarver. Check on the runner and pick him up! With his team down by two, makes the last out. Uahara picks him off. And Carlos Beltran is standing at the plate with a bat in his hands. And the Red Sox celebrate the victory. Talk about shocking. And, and indeed, it was shocking. Uh, and what was also great is that if you're watching the game on Fox, as I was, they they – all but missed the pickoff because they decided, because Fox, well, what they love to do is that they're showing like a million crowd shots. And they're showing like some, look like kind of tired, maybe a little distraught female. Um, and then they cut over quickly and they catch uh, Red Sox closer, Koji Uhara, who was sensational in this series and sensational all season long, picking off uh, Colton Wong at first place, who was taking a pretty big lead and was uh, a little late getting back to the bag, and thus he was the last out in game three when you had Carlos Beltran, who, and what we said about the Cardinals all season long, fantastic hitters with runners in scoring position, including Carlos Beltran, who was, uh, that was one of his big strengths, was hitting with runners in scoring position. Now, Wong, who was actually ironically pitched running for Alan Craig, Wong was not, of course, in scoring position. And what was great about that call was that uh, Cardinals, man, Cardinals uh, radio broadcaster Mike Shanahan was laughing that the Red Sox, first baseman Mike Napoli, were, was holding, uh, holding the runner at first. He was on the bag, which left a nice hole 
for would have left an ice hole for Carl Beltran had he been able to uh, uh, have an op- another opportunity and their out not happen at uh, first base. And that was a key win because that even the series at two after the uh, the aforementioned shenanigans that went down on the obstruction call the night before. And then as we saw, the Cardinals won game five in St. Louis, they win, and then they come home last night. They won game six. That was not a good game at all. It was got a little out of hand early. Final suit was, um, yeah, the final was six to one. Lackey with the win, Michael Walker uh, with the loss, and he had been tremendous. Uh, all season long, he had not lost to that point in the playoffs. And so the Red Sox, on Wednesday night, not last night, pardon me, um, ended up winning their third championship in the last 10 years. And it was actually, you know, so many people thought, we talk about the old, you remember the old Curse, Bambino, 1918 to 2004. But this was actually the first time the Red Sox won the World Series since 1918, which is pretty cool. And of course, this was such an emotional World Series win. I mean, every World Series championship is emotional. But with when you had the uh, Boston bombings back in April and how uh, the Red, uh, the city really rallied around the Red Sox going forward. You had in that, uh, that great moment, Dave Ortiz saying, this is our effing city. Uh, I, would, I would have dropped the F word, but I have a feeling that Mike would have, uh, would have uh, come back and uh, beaten my butt in. So there's that. And thus, uh, an emotional season going worst to first for the Red Sox. And they come out, and they won the World Series. And we, I started by talking about how awful my predictions were for the MLB season. I did correctly predict the Red Sox to win in six in this World Series. So I think that we are all, you know. Oh, you are living la vida loca. And thus, so, we yeah, have the Boston Red Sox winning in World Series in six. We'll see if they try, how they defend next year. Um, John Farrell, you know, we talked about Bobby Valentine and how much of a complete and utter fiasco last season was. I think you can make the point, and I'm going to make it. People may not like it, but I don't care, that if you don't have Bobby Valentine in the mess last year, do you have this World Series team? So there may be no person more important to this World Series championship than Bobby Valentine because they they were looking uh, to try and bring in John Farrell from Toronto last year, and they've been doing it recently after the the ousting, if you will, of Terry Francona. And thus, so, but they brought in Bobby Valentine, which I thought was a great hire, so it shows how much I know. And in, so you have that, uh, Bobby Valentine, we owe you. He's now uh, the athletic director at Sacred Heart University, and, and he's probably not doing a great job because Bobby Valentine is a clown, and we all know that. One thing that really struck me this season was how dominant Koji Uhara was in the closer. I mean, he had never really been a consistent closer before, this year, they brought him in. They, before the year, the Red Sox had some questions about who was going to be the closer. They were hoping Andrew Bailey formally of Oakland. That didn't happen. So, Uhara came in. He was lights out. So, we talked to our good friend, Phillies analyst, Gary Matthews Sr., about what was the secret to Uhara's success. And here's what he told us. What's going to happen is that you jerk off the ball. I almost want to let this guy here jam you. And if it comes, it comes. So as he says that what his secret was that he would try and jam you, and thus you'd have to uh, maneuver the bat 
and it'd be incredibly tough to hit. So you would he would describe, and as only Sarge can, uh, how you would have to try and hit that. But unfortunately, not many people need that made that adjustment. You know, with also the conclusion of the World Series, marked the end of an era for MLB broadcasting and broadcasting the World Series in that it was the last game of a long time. Fox, ABC, CBS, baseball analyst Tim McCarver, who called his final World Series, his final game, he will now go into retirement. McCarver, who has been a broadcast from even at the end of his playing days in the late 70s. And he began his broadcast career. He was doing Phillies games. Uh, hence, uh, there's connection to uh, Gary Matthews. He uh, worked a little, actually, with NBC. Uh, he was the second crew for the game of the week. In 1980, he then worked at ABC on Monday Night Baseball with uh, the great Don Drysdale, and also with Al Michaels and Jim Palmer. Now, that was a broadcast team. And he then went to CBS routine with Jack Buck for 1999 and That was our good friend Sean McDonough from 92 to 93. 94, 95, and went back to ABC under the failed uh, baseball network umbrella. And then when Fox bought the MLB rights, he has done every World Series spent with our good friend Joe Buck, and here's what McCarver had to say Wednesday night. 34 years ago, my obligation shifted from the field and the players to the booth and to you. 34 years ago, my obligation shifted. Sorry again, folks. We're going to try that a third time. 34 years ago, my obligation shifted from the field and the players to the booth, and to you, the viewers. Fairness and accuracy and honesty have always been my goals, along with teaching you something you may not have known about this great game. I hope I've achieved those things. Thank you very much. And sorry about that little technical difficulty. Because how we uh, set up the show, I call into the show to host it. And for some reason, my phone got disconnected. And uh, that caused that little uh, piece of technical difficulty. Hope you're still with us. Uh, ben Florence, where does this fanatic radio? So now, basically, what's going to happen now is that uh, I will probably never host a show ever again after these technical difficulties. So, well, the first time when I hosted the show, so there was no problem. So I don't know what, uh, what uh, that issue was, but as we were talking about before our issues, Tim McCarver, last World Series, last game ever called as lead broadcaster for Fox. He will now go into retirement and back to Florida, which is where I believe he resides currently. And here's what he had to say on Wednesday night. 34 years ago, my obligation shifted from the field and the players to the booth and to you, the viewers. Fairness and accuracy and honesty have always been my goals, along with teaching you something you may not have known about this great game. I hope I've achieved those things. Thank you very much. And that, of course, was Tim McCarver. He uh, called World Series, uh, the sixth game of the World Series, in the World Series as well. Every World Series in 1996 with Joe Buck. He, uh, of course, he's had a long uh, tenure working national games, but he also worked uh, local games. He called Phillies games, which is the last thing we played with, 1980 1982. He called the Mets for uh, 16 years. And from 1983 to 1998, he called the Yankees from 1999 to 2001, and he called the Giants games in 2002. Um, Tim McCarver, toward the end, this is what um, he's not – toward the end, he really was starting to lose it. Uh, he was a mess in the, in the studio. I mean – and that's what happens with broadcasters. We get old. He is 72. 
Um, and thus he would uh, have long-winded points, points that would often, by the time he would end up finishing making a point, he would have contradicted what he already said. But if you go back in the day, like you go back from like into when he was doing games, like when he did uh, local TV, like when he did Mets games for so long, when he worked at ABC and CBS, he was awesome. Back in the day, he was one of the best analysts and certainly, in my opinion, one of the best uh, in baseball history. I do not feel any qualms saying that, even with how inconsistent and, and uh, all over the place he would be toward the end of his training. So going forward, who will replace, how can he replace a guy like Tim Garvey, who's been the lead commentator for Fox Sports ever since they got their MLB coverage going in 1996. I think um, Richard Dykes, Sports Australia, said that the, he thought the three favorites are John Smoltz, who's been working with uh, TBS and MLB Network, Tom Perducci, who's also been working for MLB Network, TBS, and has done a bunch of Fox games this year as well. And as the other main, uh, uh, the other guy in the Hunt is uh, Harold Reynolds, who's a studio analyst for MLB Network. Of course, formerly worked at ESPN back in the day. And he also was in the studio a lot for uh, Fox Games. But if I had to make my prediction, your lead broadcast crew for the MLB on Fox going forward, and this will be a key year next year that they will have games on their new cable sports network, uh, Fox Sports 1, that your new broadcast crew will be Joe Buck, John Fultz, and Tom Verducci, you know, mixing up, going with a three-man crew. And I think that that will be a rock-solid crew going forward. You might want to put this in the mail before you go to jail. And on that note, we are going to take a music break. Uh, very quickly, this music break is brought to you by our good friends at The American Word Magazine. Check it out at theamericanmag.com. I wrote a piece for them that came out in last week's issue. And also, if you're around American University's campus, uh, make sure you pick up a copy. It's a great stuff. Our good friend, uh, Josh Ponnell, he is, um, where is the, uh... oh, I had a piece of audio for Josh Ponnell. I can't find it right now, so this is just, this is just great. So, with that in mind, uh, we are going to go to Music Break. You are listening to Fanatic Radio. It's Fanatic Radio. Get ready to break the pain! <laughs> the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Lock Talk Radio. Let's go, girls.
Fanatic Radio. It's as good as it gets. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Love Talk Radio. Because he really struggled when he played with 
going out to where you even got bench for our good friend Earl Clark, who's playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers now. And um, as for Steve Nash, he's no uh, spring chicken, but and he's getting up there in age. But I still think he's got something left to where this team, he can lead this team. They're going to score a lot of points. And then I think when Kobe's back, I think he's going to, we don't know what, he didn't hear when he thought he was going to come back. But if, when he does, it's going to be, uh, I think he's going to have a kind of year where, especially if the team ends up disappointing or just look like crap, which they very well could. I mean, their bench is pretty mediocre. But I think that you could see this team, it wouldn't surprise me if they made the playoffs. I'm going to be honest. I think this team can make the playoffs. I think they're better than a lot of people are giving them credit. So you have the NBA season kicking off on Tuesday night, of course. You haven't seen a lot of uh, big moments because the season is so young. But you had a brilliant performance from Derek Rose last night that was absolutely sensational in leading his Clippers to the win under new head coach Doc Rivers against uh, a Warriors team that a lot of people are excited about. That's actually, that's actually a preview of what I think uh, the NBA Western Conference Finals is going to be this year. And Chris Paul had uh, is now the one of two active players to put up a 40-point and 15 assist game. The other player is Mr. LeBron James. And so that Clippers team is going to be very fun to watch. Again, if you want to call in to Fanatic Radio, our call-in number is 646-595-3137. Please call in. Uh, We're having a great time here. At least I am because I'm rocking it solo, and it's great. The big game in college football this upcoming Saturday is uh, kind of like a rekindling now of what has been one of the great rivalries in college football. I mean, these teams have been playing every year since the last time this rivalry was really relevant. But now you've got two teams in the top ten, top seven to be exact. You have the Florida State Seminoles, who have been awesome this year, are looking like a national championship contender, and they're going to be going up against hosting the Miami Hurricanes are having a little bit of a bounce-back season of their own. And uh, I think this has the potential. I think it could be a very good game and a fun game to watch. These two heated rivals going at it. But I do think that based on what I've seen out of Florida State this year, based what I've seen out of Miami this year, that Florida State is clearly the more dominant team, and I think they're going to end up winning a game like 42-21. to 21. I think it's going to be three touchdowns because it's Florida State better in offensive line. And Jameis Winston has been sensational as a freshman. I mean, Johnny Manziel, who? I mean, we got a new redshirt freshman quarterback that could very well be a Heisman uh, contender, and could wind up winning the award. He's certainly in the mix, along with guys like Marcus Mariota, A.J. McCarron, and Manziel himself. So as a quarterback. And, my, and Florida State, when you compare them, their 7-0 record to Miami's 7-0 record. Uh, you look at Miami, they struggled to beat Florida. They had a rally late to beat uh, Georgia Tech in the last two weeks. Uh, they had near disasters against North Carolina, and they're 2-5 and five in Wake Forest, who they were trailing that game at home for a significant stretch against the Demon Deacons, who are now 4-4. Uh, four four. They're 4-3 going into the game. And they could be a bowl team as well. North Carolina could be a bowl team. But you look at what Florida State has done this year. They did have a little bit of a uh, surprising performance against Boston College. The only one by two touchdowns was a tight game for much of the evening, or much of the afternoon, in uh, Chestnut Hill. They ended up winning that. And then after that, they come out, they destroy Maryland, who was ranked, who ranked number 25, 
They beat them 63 to nothing, and then the much-anticipated showdown with the Clemson Tigers in Death Valley two weeks ago. They blew them out 51-14 to in the last week against a pretty hapless North Carolina State team. They uh, smoked them as well, 49-17. to So that clearly is the premier uh, showdown this week in college football. But we also have, there's some, uh, I think, some under the radar, some solid matchups. Perhaps some good ones in, a, in the, as we always love the Big Ten, you got Minnesota and Indiana. Both these are, well, you have Minnesota in a bowl game already. Minnesota's playing for a bowl game. That could be an interesting game to watch at 330. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State, you got a very good uh, showdown as well. And you got the uh, world's largest cocktail party, although they don't want the uh, outdoor cocktail party, although they don't want to call it that anymore. That's what we know it as. Georgia and Florida, both teams have been disappointing, struggling with injuries. That's CBS at 3.30. And for my picks on all of the major FBS games this week, go to bflow360.com. You won't want to miss out. It is, uh, as we all know, one of the great, one of the great websites of all time. You are the height of just too much of it. I know. But I'm very proud of the blog, and I take no qualms about it. Some other good games to watch. You had Missouri hosting Tennessee. Missouri with a disappointing last-second loss in overtime. Well, technically in college, there is no time in overtime, so I can't really call it that. But they lose at the horn. They have a chance to tie the game. Um in overtime against South Carolina, but they missed a chip shot field goal in the left hash. So that you have Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Texas Tech undefeated. Oklahoma State coming to Lubbock. I actually think that Oklahoma State, did I pick them on that game? Let's actually take a look on my predictions. Um, pardon me for this, folks. Uh, who will win that game? Yes, I did pick Oklahoma State. Went in doubt, go to gut, and that's what it did. Uh, also live on the blog right now, of course, we always have our uh, weekly NFL uh, distribution and announcer assignments for the NFL on Fox and the NFL on CBS. We, they, uh, so you've got your distribution to see what game you'll be getting this week. The NFL Fox has a single header of action, five, only five games. They, the game most of the country will be getting will be Vikings-Cowboys, but there are also Saints-Jets, uh, Falcons-Panthers, Buccaneers-Seahawks, uh, and then in the late game, that's actually the late two late games, are Buccaneers-Seahawks-Eagles-Raiders. CBS has the doubleheader. Uh, the lead game at one is Chiefs-Bills uh, with uh, San Diego-Washington and Titans-Rams. The other games at one o'clock in the lead game in the national window, Steelers Patriots with uh, some regions of uh, Mid Atlantic and uh, state of Ohio getting Ravens Browns. Check that out on the website. Check out my Week Nine picks for the NFL. Um, I think the big uh, wild finish that we saw last week happened in Motown where you had Detroit uh, and Dallas winning a game that Detroit really had no business winning. What happened was uh, it's third and 15. With, uh, it, may, it may not have been third and 15. Third and long for the Cowboys with a, a little more than a minute left, and Detroit is out of timeouts. What, ha- what happened was they decided to run another play. They could have taken a knee. They... Um, is what I, I probably would have done. But what happened was they ran a play, ran uh, Ken Allen, I got uh, not Ken Allen. They ran, got nine yards, but they, they were called for holding left tackle Tyron Smith, USC product, and thus they had Detroit decline the penalty, but the clock was stopped. Dallas kicked the field goal. What happened next? Detroit roared back. Big passes from Matt Stafford, and then at the one, uh, he called a fake smike, fake spike, dove over the top, 
and the Lions ended up winning. It is a it was a fantastic finish, and uh, we're at about the mid season point in the NFL. Uh, and I think the big surprise for everybody, the Kansas City Chiefs, the lone remaining team, to be the team in the NFL. Although I think let's be honest, are they the best team in the NFL? No. Um, they have played a pretty mediocre schedule. St. Louis actually leads to the second worst slate of the season thus far. Um, they're, I mean, Alex Smith has been solid. Jamal Charles has been awesome. But they have them a great, and let's be honest, they're not even the best team in their own division. And I don't think they're a Super Bowl team either. But they're definitely going to be a playoff team unless they really fall apart. And those they have been uh, one mm-hmm. definitely the big surprise of this NFL season through this point. We're going to take another musical break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little NASCAR. We're going to talk uh, whatever else we can find relevant. You are listening to DFAG Radio. Stay with us. Fanatic Radio. What's wrong with that? He fought for his country. And put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on... Blog Talk Radio.
Fanatic Radio. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's cars. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Nobody cares about Rutgers, let's be realistic, okay? But, you know, I care about NASCAR, and I care about Rutgers. So we're going to talk about NASCAR. The three races to go in the NASCAR Spring Cup season, the chase for the Spring Cup. Uh, this weekend, uh, we are in, they, the series is in uh, the awful Texas Motor Speedway. I mean, let's be honest. Of all the circuits on on uh, that we go to the NASCAR Spring Cup Series, Texas Motor Speedway is pretty overrated. Not as great as what happened uh, or ever as uh, the Great Marshville Speedway, which is where the series was last weekend uh, in uh, Southern Virginia. And while, you know, the championship chase going down between Matt Kenseth and Jimmy Johnson got tied up again, uh, and looks to be even a great run to the finish. What really uh, made the headlines was what happened on on, Friday, on Saturday afternoon in the Truck Series race. Ken Harvick was driving for NTS Motorsports um, as a teammate of uh, his friend Ron Moore today. But as the in the race, he was, lead, he was uh, uh, running uh, strong, and what happened was... Uh, Ty Dillon, who drives for Richard Childress, he's also the grandson of Richard Childress, who is also Kevin Harvick's team owner, when uh, Kevin Harvick kind of chomped down a little bit on the inside uh, line, even though he was technically on the, uh, on the middle groove at Martinsville, and there's only really one racing line there. Uh, the two of them, as well as uh, the number 88, the champion points, Matt Crafton, got into a... Uh, a little incident, and then when Kevin Hart was none too pleased and had some very strong words on Ty Dillon and why he's leaving the organization, RCR, as he is, to join Stuart Haas uh, racing next year. Uh, three just dumped me. Uh, exactly the reason why I'm leaving RCR, because you got those kids coming up and they got no respect for uh, what they do in this sport, and they've had everything fed to them with a spoon. So um, I cut him slack all day, and... You know, he just drive, dive bombs me in there, uh, dumps me. So just got to thank all these Anderson Syrup guys uh, for everything that they do. It's a shame you got to get taken out by some rich kid like that. Well, um, Kevin Harvick did end up apologizing on Sunday morning for, um, for those comments, but very uh, strong comments, and it's interesting that Harvick maybe – could be nuking his relationship with Joe Childress over what happened in the truck race when he's not running for anything. He's just running 
to try and win in the Anderson's Maple Syrup Chevy. But, and then Ty Dillon, and of course, he and Austin Dillon are widely regarded as the future of RCR. And, but I think he made, I think he was a little unfair there because, A, the incident was kind of his fault, A. And, B, both Ty Dillon and Richard Jones and uh, Austin Dillon, rather, while they are running very strong equipment, which, of course, is helped by the fact that their grandfather runs a, a solid team, and they've also been very good racers. Austin Dillon, leading the Nationwide Series points, he married what very well may be able to win the title. And then Ty Dillon and Austin Dillon won the truck title. And Ty Dillon is in the mix as well. And what's interesting now is that we got our good friend, uh, Michael Garter, calling in live on location from Texas Motor Speedway. Michael Garner, welcome to welcome back to Fanatic Radio. How are you, buddy? General I flow live in the media center holding down the fourth. So you're doing a good job with the show. Nothing's exploded or blown up yet? Uh, well, we did have my phone was disconnected, and we had a little bit of dead air uh, uh, about 15 minutes into the broadcast for like a minute while I got uh, I rallied at, uh, the forces and got back together. But, yeah, it's been a pretty good show. Uh, I think that now... Uh, we should go forward and just have me host the show solo with you on location. What's your take on that? Well, it depends on where on location. I have to call in live from, like, the AU Athletics office on the weekdays. Well, we love AU Athletics. We love Nancy. Nancy Asheroff will be on the show next week, as well as our different Darius Gardner and our college basketball tip-off preview, powered by Aaron's Napa Auto Parts. American Word Magazine, Ace Hardware, and Beeple360.com. I know you're excited for that. We'll, we'll name all the uh, the MWR sponsors. Hey, you know what? We're Michael Waltrip, who's uh, run a very clean organization, free of any controversy, and thus uh, we thank him for uh, helping us out. Uh, you know, we love errands. We love Napa Auto Parts. I've actually never been in an errands. I think I've been in Napa before, though, and uh, I know I know you love our good friends up in Ace Hardware, as well as the American Word Magazine. So what's going on? What's going down out there in uh, San Antonio? Well, earlier this morning, um, as you can listen to the glorious V8 in the background, uh, Truex announced he is going to Furniture Row Racing to drive the 78 car. And then we have uh, a bunch of other drivers. Bubba Wallace making a guest appearance. Danica, Jeff Gordon. Should be a good one. Jeff Gordon, of course, winning the uh, race last week. And Martinsville, I know you were very excited for that to get his first win of the year. Now he's got a uh, long shot chance to win the title as we have a minute to go on FR. What's your take on that? Can he shock everybody and come up with this title? I'm not sure. I don't think this is the weekend he can do it. He hasn't statistically run very well at Texas. On the flip side, uh, Jimmy Johnson and Matt Kenseth, I think, have a combined, like, 15 top 10s in this racetrack with both April and November race. So it's probably, unless the forces of evil flick on the 20 and the 48, it's probably going to be a two-horse race. But it's good to at least have him there and try to contend. All right, Mike, thanks for calling in. We'll make sure we'll see you next time when you are here. We are wrapping up this episode of Sports Zone, or of Fanatic Radio, pardon me, which is not Sports Zone. Uh, thanks for playing. Uh, let's see
everyone for listening today. We will see you next week. I am Ben Florence via Radio Saigon and the good folks at Blog Talk Radio. This is Ben Fanatic Radio. We will see you next time.